Good morning. It is always good to be with you. It's especially good to be with you on a day where we get to witness together a baptism, a new birth into Christ, and the generosity that's laying right just outside those doors in our foyer. We're going to talk a little bit more about our food drive, but I'm just I'm thankful for this church family. I'm thankful for this morning, uh, and I'm about to do something that uh, I don't normally do, and I'm not giving anyone else any permission to do it. I'm going to call an audible. Uh, I'm going to ask the Mascaro family if you could just come up, Cooper especially, but anyone who's willing, if you'll join me on stage, and I'm going to ask Ed and Jana Emerson to come join us as well. Uh, we were going to wait a week to say a prayer of blessing over Cooper, but I feel like, why wait a week, right? This, this morning is a day of celebration. And so we'll get everyone up here. We're going to be okay, I promise. There's plenty of room. Come on over. I don't bite, I promise. Cooper, thank you for, uh, for letting us be a part of, of your moment of baptism. I know that's a, a nervous moment in front of this many people. Um, and we're baptized into Christ, but, but in that moment, we're also baptized into his mission. And we are baptized into his family. And so I'm just thankful that we got to be a part of that and witness that. And Ed, I'll just ask you to say a prayer of blessing over him now. Cooper, I don't know you very well, but I know your parents a lot. And um, so I, I know you're a great kid. We look forward, we're excited about your baptism and look forward to seeing God at work in your life. So let's pray. Father, we just sang a song about God being by our side always, the God of angel, angel armies. But Father, even better than that, we know that um, Cooper has your spirit within him now, that Jesus said, I'm sending your spirit, my spirit, um, to, to indwell in you, and to, it will give him strength, give him wisdom, Father. So we pray your blessings on Cooper. We're excited for him. We know the angels in heaven are singing and celebrating, and uh, we probably don't do that well enough to recognize what a great, great thing this is. But Father, we pray your blessings on him um, for Brandon and Whitney as they um, mentor him and raise him. And Father, I know, Father, that um, great things are ahead for him, that he's going to be a mighty warrior for you, a mighty man of God. And Father, we look forward to those days, and we thank you for this decision today. It's in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you so much, guys. So as I said, my, my dad used to say that all the time. He'd say, son, I'm about to do something, but you're not allowed to do it. And so it's scary to call audibles in worship, but there's times where it's, it's important. And if you're thinking about it, just ask me, and we'll, we'll go from there. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Okay, so we're, we're starting a series on the story of Jonah. And the difficulty is every time I say Jonah, you see a whale. And, and that, there's good reason for that. It's, it's a pretty captivating image, this, this huge fish that comes to get Jonah. But we're going to be spending four weeks in the story of Jonah. And this morning, uh, the, the really big fish isn't actually a part of the story yet. Uh, that's going to come next week. And we're going to have a pretty neat worship experience around that. Um, we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that as we get closer. But, 
But this morning, we're, we're opening up the story of Jonah together, and it's a rough place to start. And I want you for just a moment to think about how you feel when you realize you're about to have to do something that you really, really do not want to do. Now, I'm not, I'm not talking about something that's a little unpleasant or something that you'd rather put off. I'm not talking about having to get up really early on your one day off from work this week. I'm not talking about having to go to the dentist. Sorry, Lauren Edwards and all the other dentists out there. I'm not talking about finding out you've got to give a speech to a, a room full of people and it, it's intimidating to you. I'm, I'm not talking about any of those things that you think of as as annoying or just a little awkward or you, you'd rather not do it, but you know deep down you're, you're going to power through and do what you need to do. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about having to do something that's going to be really, really hard. And there is absolutely no place in your heart where you're, you're even just a little bit open to doing it. I'm, I'm, talking, I'm talking about getting ready to say something to someone you care about that you know might crush their spirit. I'm talking about reaching a moment of clarity where you know, even though you want to do anything else, what you should do is find a way to start forgiving somebody who has hurt you deeply. I'm talking about reaching a place where you're, you're going to try to reach out to somebody who you don't agree with, who you, you don't understand, frankly, somebody whose ideas or way of life threaten you, and you know that what you need to do is try to open up a conversation with them Maybe even try to hope that that conversation would lead to some sort of relationship, a friendship, that you would build a bridge instead of keep maintaining a wall. I'm talking about having to take a deep breath and then open the door and walk into a room where someone you love is dying. We're not talking about a little unpleasant. We're not talking about something you'd rather put off just a little bit longer. I'm talking about coming to a place where you, you know that you are being asked to do something and there isn't, there isn't any place in your heart where you really want to do what you're going to have to do next. And, and, and when we face those moments in life, we, we realize that we, we rarely get warning. We rarely have a whole lot of time to think about it. It's suddenly upon us and, and we're about to find out who we really are when it matters the most. And because of that, we have all kinds of questions that start to, to rise to the surface of our minds and our hearts. Am I strong enough to do this? Do I, do I have what it takes to do what I'm, I'm setting out to do? What, what if I, I find a way to tell the truth only to have it thrown back in my face? What if I, I find a way to start to try to forgive somebody and they end up hurting me all over again? What if I put my heart out there and it gets broken? What if I make a fool of myself? What if, what if the, the people in my life that I look up to and I respect, they turn their back on me because I've done something that you can't turn back from? What if I'm never really able to fully explain all the reasons I made the decision I felt like I had to make? Those are the kinds of soul-deep questions 
that have to be in our minds and hearts if we're going to understand where the story of Jonah starts, where it begins. Now, we don't know for sure all of the, the private thoughts that Jonah had when God suddenly breaks the silence and speaks to Jonah and says, Jonah, I want you to go to the city of Nineveh. I want you to go to the capital city of Israel's sworn enemies. And I want you to speak my truth to them because I care about them. We don't know immediately what Jonah started thinking, but we can guess, can't we? You got to be kidding me, God. Do you watch the news? Do, do you know who these people are? I mean, they, they have caused more heartache and bloodshed in Israel than anyone I can think of, God. They're wicked, evil, despicable people, and I don't have anything to say to them. It's not just that it's going to be a hard thing to do, though it's going to be a hard thing. It's the last thing I'm willing to do. I'm not, I'm not equipped to talk to them. And it's not because I don't know what to say to them. It's because I can't stand to be in their presence. They harbor known terrorists, God. Terrorists. They hate us. They're Nazis. And you want me to go over there and say something to them on your behalf because you care about them? You want me to, to warn them that if they don't change their lives, you're going to destroy them? Well, well, here's something I'd like you to know, God. I want them to be destroyed. I don't want anyone to warn them. I don't want them to be given a second chance. They don't deserve to be given a chance. I want every single one of them to be wiped off the face of the earth. That's what I want. So why don't you ask me to go tell them that that's what's going to happen? Ask somebody else, God. Send somebody else. And if you're going to send me, send me somewhere else. Send me anywhere else. I, I, I think I'm losing my mind. And I know that my friends and family are going to think I'm losing my mind. They're going to call me a traitor. This is a bad idea. Send somebody else. Send me someplace else. Now, we can't know for certain all the thoughts that Jonah had when God said, I want you to go to the great city of Nineveh and speak to them on my behalf. But we do know what Jonah decides to do after weighing all his options. If you've got your Bible, open up to Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. We don't know what he's thinking, but we do know what he decides to do. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. And after paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid. And each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. When God tells Jonah to go and speak to the people of Nineveh on God's behalf and God's name, Jonah decides to run away from God as fast as he can. Let me say that again. 
Jonah decides to run away from God as fast as he can, which is not nearly fast enough. Running away from God makes as much sense as trying to run away from gravity. It doesn't work. Two times in verse 3, we're told that Jonah is nonetheless trying to do this impossible thing, to get out of the scope of God's presence, the God who created life and the world and everything in it. In Psalm 139, right, this is the same God we're told that if we go up to the heavens, God is there. If we make our bed in the depths, God is there. If we, if we rise on the wings of the dawn and settle on the far side of the sea, even there, God will guide us. God's right hand will hold us fast. That God, this is the God, the God you cannot run away from. Jonah decides he can somehow run away. And in all that running away from God, the storyteller wants us to notice something very specific, and you may not have noticed it because we read the verses pretty quickly. That the general direction Jonah is moving in when he's trying to run away from God is down. The storyteller says Jonah goes down to Joppa. Then when he gets there, he goes down below deck. Then he lays down. Then he falls into a deep sleep. Are you getting the general Focus the direction that Jonah is going. As he tries to run away from a God you can't run away from, he manages to go someplace. But that someplace is deeper and deeper down. And I've found the same thing to be true for me and the people I know. Right? That the far, farther we, we get from God, the lower we get in life. God, who is understandably angry and disappointed that Jonah has decided to ignore what God has told him he needs to do, he sends a storm to stop Jonah from getting any farther. That's important for us to understand why the storm is sent. Jonah doesn't understand this. We'll, we'll come back to this in a few moments, but but you and I need to understand why the storm is sent. The storm is sent to stop Jonah from getting any farther away. Not from God's presence, because you can't run from God's presence, but to get farther away from the mission that God has called Jonah to live out. The problem is, Jonah's not by himself in the middle of the sea. He is in a ship with several other innocent bystanders who have no idea what they have actually gotten themselves into by, by trying to help somebody out, right? Jonah needs to get someplace. They give him a place in their boat, and everything starts to fall apart. The storm doesn't only impact Jonah, it, it risks the life of every person who's close to him. And I have found the same thing to be true in my life and the people, the life that I, lives of people I know, that when we run away from God, it's, we, we don't just take ourselves down, we end up taking a lot of other people down with us. And even though these sailors are not Israelites, the storyteller wants us to notice, I mean, they... They worship other gods. They pray to other gods. They are not members of God's chosen people when we meet them, but they are nonetheless decent people. 
And that's supposed to cause us some, some unsettled discomfort. That here we are reading a story from God's book about God's people. It starts out talking about Jonah, who's supposed to be God's messenger. We assume that Jonah's going to be the person in the story we want to be like. And yet, in the first five verses, we... I mean, Jonah, if, if Disney were going to make a Jonah movie, he'd be played by Eeyore. Who wants to be Eeyore? Nobody. I mean, in a little while, he's going to say, just throw me overboard. I mean, he's, he's not somebody you look up to. He's the problem. These, these sailors who we shouldn't expect much of anything from, they're doing everything they can to be good and decent people. They're, they're trying to, to do what they can to take in Jonah, and then when the, the storm comes and everything's getting worse, they're, they're trying to save the ship and everyone on it, including Jonah. If, if we had kept reading in the next few verses, they, they're praying, it says, to their own gods. Then they get to a place where they're trying to figure, that's not working. The, the, the captain of the ship finds Jonah asleep, and he, he tells him to wake up and start praying. He doesn't tell him to get up and start doing something, which is what I probably would have said. You know, start bailing water, do something, Jonah. It's too, it's too late for that. The storm's going to take the ship down. They know that. So when the, the, the captain finds him, he says, look, get up, Jonah. We, we need you to start praying with us. Pray to your God. We're all praying. It's not working. Maybe, maybe you'll know who to pray with. Pray to Maybe he'll know who to pray for. Jonah's, Jonah's sulking so much that he will not even pray for the sake of these innocent people who are, are being scared literally to death by what he's done. And he knows it. He knows exactly why that storm's there, or at least he knows who sent that storm. And he's not willing to pray to God on their behalf or his behalf. He doesn't care if he lives or dies. He doesn't care if they live or die. He's done. He's been asked to do the last thing he's willing to do for God, so it's over. They cast lots. They're trying to figure out who's responsible for this storm. God works through them casting lots and points the finger right at, at Jonah. So they go back to Jonah and they say, who are you? You got to tell us what you're running from. You're obviously running from something who are you? What, what are you running from? And Jonah says, well, I, I'm a Hebrew. I'm, I'm a member of the, the tribe of, of God's people of Israel. I, I'm not exactly like you, but I need you to know that all these gods you're praying to, they're not my God. My God is the one true God, the maker of heaven and earth. And I want to say, are you listening to yourself talk? The one true God, the maker of heaven and earth, and you thought you could outrun this God? And they say, okay, fine. What, what have you done in running from this God? You've obviously made God furious. Can you do something? Will you do anything? Can we do something to appease this God so that he will rescue us from this storm? And let's go ahead and read what Eeyore has to say in response. Verse 12. Pick me up and throw me into the sea. He replied, and it will become calm. I know that it's my fault that this great storm has come upon you. 
How noble of him. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land. But they couldn't, for the sea grew even wilder than before. And then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Don't hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, Lord, have done as you please. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. And at this the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. The sailors in the story are, are better people than Jonah proves himself to be in the opening chapter. They, uh, they try their very hardest to save not only themselves and the ship, but even after they figure out who Jonah is and that it's his fault that they're going through this horrible storm, when he said, he, I mean, he gives them an out. He gives them permission to throw him overboard, and these guys are so good, they don't take him up on it. I mean, if, if I was in the middle of, of the sea and I thought the ship was going down and somebody said to me, hey, it's my fault and my fault alone. I brought this on you. Throw me overboard and we're going to be okay. I wouldn't have tried to row back anywhere. I, I wouldn't have. And in all likelihood, none of us would have. And again, it's supposed to be unsettling to read about these pagan people who turn out to be better people in the story than God's chosen messenger. It's supposed to make us wonder what's, what's going on in our hearts and in our relationships with God and, and God's mission and who we're supposed to be and what happens when we actually try to run away from a God we can't run away from and, and the direction that we end up going is, is always down. Lower and lower in life as we try to get farther and farther from God and God's heart. And, and we end up not only hurting ourselves, we end up hurting all kinds of other people, innocent people. People who don't understand what's going on in us and around us. And yet they get caught up in our mistakes and our sin and our, you name it. We don't want to be Jonah in the story. But we've all had times where that's exactly the role we're playing. And these guys, they have, they have the opportunity to forcibly get him out of their lives, to get themselves back to a better place to be safe. They don't take it. They try to row back to land. It doesn't work. The storm gets worse because this thing is between God and Jonah. Jonah's decision to run has turned them into collateral damage. But the God of Israel, the one true God, the maker of heaven and earth, the God that Jonah is supposed to be serving but is refusing to serve, that God doesn't have, he doesn't have a problem with these sailors in the same way that he has a problem with his own, his own servant. So they give in. It's the, it's the last option they want to take. And I want you to notice the shift. In the first section of what we read, they're praying, but they're praying to their own gods. When they get ready to do what Jonah has told them they have to do, even though they don't want to do it, they pray again, but this time they pray to the one true God. They pray to Jonah's God. And when they cast him overboard and the sea grows calm, they don't just pray to Jonah's God, they worship Jonah's God. They, they make vows to him. They make promises. They are, in other words, converted. God converts these men through Almost no help from Jonah at all. 
I mean, Jonah's pretty much just sitting there sulking the entire time. And these sailors, these pagan but decent people, they're clearly supposed to be opening Jonah's eyes to the fact that he wants his people to be God's only people. He wants Israel to be the only nation that God loves. And if, if, if he has to share God's love with other nations, with people from other places who pray to other gods, if, if there's a relationship that God is trying to, to start with those, those people, Jonah has, has no desire to be a part of that. He, he wants God's love as long as it's for him. He doesn't want God's love if it's for everybody else too. He'd rather run and try to hide and try to work against God and God's mission than to say, you're God and I'm not. You have a mission that's bigger than what I can see or understand. You love people that I, I, I have no space in my heart for. So teach me, show me how to be that kind of person, God. That, that's not what we find in Jonah. What we find is somebody who has decided, I, I, I'm not going to do this. And then he runs into these sailors. Now, they are not, we get no indication that these sailors are people from Nineveh, but they, they still don't belong to the nation of Israel. And they, and they don't pray when they start praying to the God of Israel. They're the wrong kinds of people, but they're good people. And Jonah is so busy worrying about himself and what he's been called to do that he, he can't see it. He doesn't see it. And if we're not careful when we read this story or we, heard, we hear it, we, we try to let it into our heart, we don't see it. That God's working through the very same people, the kinds of people, that Jonah doesn't want to have anything to do with God. And if God can use an unwilling and an unhelpful Jonah to bring people to faith in the middle of a storm at sea, what do you think God could do through a willing and helpful Jonah in the streets of Nineveh? Something tells me that God doesn't actually need Jonah to convert people. God is committed to using Jonah as, as this faithful messenger of God's love and, and God is going to refuse to give up on that partnership. Even if, if Jonah doesn't want to have anything to do with it, God is not going to give up. And he is going to find a way to use Jonah. And he's going to find a way to use Jonah where Jonah has made the decision himself. That's, that's part of what's happening here. As Dylan said, when you read Psalm 139, we you do have a push and pull of how God's love works in our lives. And all of us have had moments where, for whatever reason, we're at a place and we're making decisions or we're living in a certain way where the last thing we want to think about is the fact that God is right beside us every moment of every day, witnessing everything we say and do and how we treat each other and how we talk to one another, and, and more than that, how we think about one another in the privacy of our own hearts. There are times that that image is comfortable and comforting. There are times when it feels like God has too many cameras and is watching way too much. 
of, of our private lives, and we want some place that we can keep to just ourselves. And yet we find that, that while we might think what we need is some sort of distance between us and the love of God, that when there is a distance between us and the love of God, it's never one that God has created. It's one that we're trying to create, and it never works. And even when we get to a place where, where we're far from Sharing God's view of the world and sharing God's passion for, for how our world should be. When we have given up, God refuses to give up. As we leave him this morning, Jonah's treading water in the middle of the sea waiting for what comes next. He's getting nowhere fast, trying to run from the presence of a God you can't run from. This God who creates Jonah and, and created Jonah for loving partnership. Jonah hasn't figured that out yet. Jonah thinks he was created to live his own life on his own terms. But that's not what he was created for. And we may be tempted to shake our heads and, and wonder at just how, how do you get to this place? I mean, it's embarrassing. I mean, Jonah's behavior, it, it's just, it, it's embarrassing and yet, we have to be honest that we understand what it's like to be in a place where if we could, we might just try to run away from God instead of running to God. And in doing so, like Jonah, we might find that whether we meant to or we didn't, that we're bringing danger upon other people in our lives. I mean, Jonah, Jonah gets to that place where the storm is, is, is about to take that, that ship down, and he is completely checked out. He's, he's not willing to do anything to fix the mess that he's made. He's giving up. He's giving up on God's goodness, and he assumes, and I, I want you to, to hear this, because we might miss it if we rush too, pa too, too far past this too quickly. J Jonah assumes that there's only one reason for that storm. It's because God wants to drown him for his disobedience. But you and I know that's not what God wants to do. That like Cooper, God wants to use water, not to drown Jonah, but to save him. There's even going to be three days that he spends in that water. And we know that every time we read the Bible, and somebody's in a deep, dark place for three days. We know. We know how the story's going to end. Jonah assumes he knows. He knows what's best. He knows who's supposed to be saved. He knows who God's supposed to love. And he knows that now he has made God angry enough that God wants to drown him for his disobedience. And Jonah is wrong. God wants to save Jonah. Jonah. And in saving Jonah, God wants to save a city full of people that Jonah doesn't want saved. Here's what's interesting. It seems that in Jonah chapter 1, if Jonah wants to experience salvation, he's going to have to be willing for other people to experience salvation through him. That somehow God saves me when I'm willing to partner with God in saving other people. That God 
uncovers places in our lives that we think we've already worked through, that we haven't worked through, that we haven't changed and been transformed the way God wants to transform us. God, God reminds us time after time after time that our conversion doesn't happen in a moment. It's a journey. It's a lifetime that you and I experience what it means to be saved over and over and over again in new ways that maybe we don't even anticipate. And for that to keep happening... We have to be willing to let God use us to save other people. And Jonah, the book, tells us the truth. We have a choice. We can either choose to partner with God and what God's asking us to do, or we can choose to try to go our own way and have our own story. And when that happens, things never go the way we hope. Things never go the way we hope. A careful reading of the book of Jonah reveals that the name of God is referenced 39 times in 48 verses. 39 times in 48 verses. Which seems to me to make it clear that Jonah isn't the hero of the story. God is. God's the main character of the story of Jonah, just like God's the main character of the story of my life and and your life. In the final analysis, we know this, but I think we forget this. In the final analysis, our lives will either be successes or failures based precisely upon how much we manage to allow God to be in the spotlight on the stage of our lives. Your life is not supposed to be about you. My life is not supposed to be about me. Our, our stories, our life stories are supposed to be about what God is doing in us and through us and for other people. Even people that we, we struggle to understand. Okay, so here's the two things that I want you to be thinking about this week because of this chapter from Jonah that we kind of opened our hearts up to. The first truth is this. God wants us to embrace the fact that there is nowhere, and I mean nowhere, that we can go to get out of God's presence. Now, that's not comforting news if you're currently trying to get away from God. But if you're trying to get away from God, I think it's because you got it all wrong. God is not, God is not present in our lives to make us feel worse about ourselves or anything we've done. God is present in our lives to help us hold on to how much we are loved, plain and simple. God is present in your life to love you. God is present in your life to love you. And another thing you need to understand is, it doesn't matter how deep into God you go, God is love all the way down. I think sometimes we talk like God is loving and angry and judgmental and gracious and merciful and unmerciful. Like those are all aspects of God that somehow are outside of his love for us. That's not true. It doesn't matter how deep you go. God is love all the way down. Now, it may be a love that tells you a truth that you don't want to hear. It may be a love that says, no, 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 you may want to walk out on this relationship, but that's not going to happen. It may be a love that says, look, you keep making decisions because you think you know more about the the way your life should be than than I do, so I'm going to stand back and give you a little space to have to, to suffer the consequences of the decisions you're making because that's the only way you're going to see what's actually happening. We need to stop treating those kinds of aspects of God's character as if they're unloving. Because when we do that, we give ourselves permission to be unloving to other people we're in relationship with. 
Because God does it. Why can't you? God is present in your life to love you. God's not trying to drown Jonah. He's trying to save him. That's the first thing I want you to know. We read those words together, didn't we? I mean, even if you wanted to run away from from God, we read those words together, the Apostle Paul. What can separate us from the love of Christ? Can trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, Paul says, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. God is present in your life to love you. The second thing that God longs for us to know is that he wants us to see other people the way he already sees them. The sailors are not Israelites. They're not members of God's chosen people, at least not when we first meet them, but they're still good, decent people. And, and they, they aren't praying to the one true God when Jonah runs into them, but they are people of prayer, and they're trying their hardest to fix what's wrong around them in the world. And these sailors, if we're going to be honest, they don't just represent the people of Nineveh to Jonah. They represent the people of the world to us who we know are not yet committed to to lives that are centered on the one true God. These sailors, they represent the people in our world who belong to other faiths. Or even they don't belong to to any faith at at all, but, but they're trying their hardest to fix the broken things in this world. We should not, like Jonah, move through our world afraid of everybody else who's not exactly like us. We should not move through our world afraid of people who don't already agree with us. We should not move through this world afraid of people who belong to other religions. We should not move through this world afraid of anyone. I'm tired of listening to how afraid we are. You'd think that we think presidents save us. You'd think that we think the economy saves us. You'd think that we think that as long as the people that talk like us and think like us and look like us get to call all the shots in the world, that then we know God loves us. Where do we get... Where do we start thinking like that? Turn the TV off. Turn the radio off. And ask somebody to coffee. Because we think we know who to be afraid of. We think we know who to blame for all the things that go wrong in our world. And we spend way too much time thinking about everybody else instead of focusing on us and our relationship with God and the fact that if we want to keep experiencing what it means to be saved, we're going to have to let God work through our hearts to save other people. God is present in our lives to love us and to teach us how to share that same love with every single person on the planet. We need to see people who we would currently label as enemies or or strange people with strange ideas that we're sure 
are going to ruin everything, and, and we just, we're sure that we're never going to have anything in common with them. We need to start seeing them through the eyes of God, through the eyes of love, and we need to see the truth about them that matters more than anything else we currently know about them. And it's this, that they are people of great value and, and priceless worth. And I, here's the part that we could say, I could say this to, <laughs> till Jesus comes back. And you'd agree with me, but I'm not sure you'd believe it 10 seconds later. So we'd have to say it again. You think of the person. I want you to do this right now. You think of the person who scares you the most in our world. Think of them. Picture them. You got that? God loves that person every bit as much as God loves you. Every bit as much as God loves you. Now, they may not be in relationship with God yet. They, they may not know who God is yet. They may be doing everything in their power to make life harder on us as Christians or life harder for you as an individual. I don't know the story, but I know that God loves that person every bit as much as God loves you. And I'm tired of us being unloving to people in Jesus' name because we're scared. Stop being scared. We are loved by the God who creates heaven and earth. If we're going to be afraid of anyone, it should be him. Because he's not going to let go. He's not going to give up. He'll find us. He'll throw us in the drink for a few days if that's what we need to raise us up to new life. There's a whole world out there full of people God loves, people God is, is commanding us to love, people who aren't like us and don't agree with us, people who've attacked us in the past and might attack us in the future, people who pray to other gods, maybe they don't ever pray at all, people who see us and we see them as totally and completely hopelessly lost. And brothers and sisters, we do not have the luxury. We do not have the option to say to God, yeah, I hear you, but send somebody else or send me someplace else. I know how that story goes. We, we all know how that story goes. We're living that story as a church in Jonah. We don't get to say, yeah, I hear you, God, but I'm just, that, that's not really my thing. Since somebody else, you cannot outsource God's mission for your life. You can't. God has asked you to do something. God has asked me to do something. This is our time. This is our place. This is, this is the point in history, in, in humankind, that God chose for us to be alive. And I'm... I'm oh, I am 100% confident that God did not create us to call the shots of our own life so that we make sure that we get all the stuff we think we ought to be able to get in life. And then we hope we kind of get the biggest pile of stuff that's shiny and, and new and nice and, and, and a bunch of titles and accolades, and then we die. That cannot be what God created you and me for. This is our time. This is our place. This is our calling. And it's time we listened. We're going to sing together now. And as we do, our shepherds and their wives will be standing in various places throughout this room to pray with you, to talk with you. 
It may be something that you need help with. It may be something you're simply thankful for that you want to pray with a Christian couple and and talk to God about. I'm going to ask those couples to stand up real briefly so you can see kind of where they are. Uh, Go to them. They want to receive you uh, as together we stand and sing.